Welcome to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I am your host, Jeremy Greer. This week's guest is Jay Gills. Jay is a video game designer. He works on uh, a little-known video game that you may not have heard about called World of Warcraft. Um, more importantly for this podcast, he is a huge Dark Souls fan. We spend most of this podcast kind of nerding out about how much we love Dark Souls 1. Uh, we also talk about some Sekiro and some some of the other video games, of course. But mostly, it's just a love letter to Dark Souls 1. Um, so, please enjoy this podcast. first FromSoft game I played was Dark Souls. Uh, I didn't discover it or hear about it right when it came out. Um, I didn't have a PlayStation 3, and I was mostly focused on playing PC games. When the release came to Steam, it was the release with the DLC bundled in, I happened to pick it up on a Steam sale. I'd maybe heard from a few people in my gaming life that it was a game I really should try so I took that opportunity to try it and I got hooked on it really fast um, playing it on PC. I did a whole playthrough and then I did another playthrough. I did NG+, then I started doing challenges and other things that would give me an excuse to just keep engaging with the game. And was that um, just the game systems? Was that the world? Was it a combination of the two? What, what, what hooked you at first? The biggest things were the famous Dark Souls uh, emotional loop of try something hard and teach yourself that you can get past it. But actually, that's kind of the first experience that makes Dark Souls specials. I would say everyone's experience with the first half of the first Souls game is kind of defined by that. Beyond that, you really know what you're doing. And I think playing more, it's not like, you know, each person who loves Dark Souls and goes back and plays it successfully is having that experience again. I think beyond that, it's just the systems are fun to tinker with, it's fun to try different builds, and it's fun to um, come up with challenges and things like that. I do like the world a lot in terms of the level design, in terms of the interconnections of the world. That adds to the feeling of, I can try something a little different each time I come back to it. I can use my game knowledge to plan a route that looks like it'll be fun to try. And I would say the the setting and lore of the world um, adds a good bit. It's just a, a great icing that it's such a cool place to wander around. Yeah, the... Um... It, it's it's one of those things like when you first finish the game and you 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 you, know, you you get that victory screen or you get whichever ending that you choose and you're like well I don't remember anything that happened in this game <laughs> I just had a really good time doing it and I got to start this over again and see if I can figure it out the um the the mechanics I think are the are the most interesting part I had such a huge challenge playing this game for the first time because I was so used to playing action games of the time that didn't really rely on the the player doing something specifically and committing to that like you know at the time like assassin's creed games or 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 whatever like you could pretty much just be a whirlwind of death by pressing a couple of buttons and adjusting my play style to to slow down quite a bit and to like think about what i'm going to do and think about what the enemy was doing took me a long time did you did you have that experience as well or did you click with it pretty quickly um, I hadn't played that many 3D action games. I sort of hadn't played the the common Assassin's Creed and Devil May Cry series and, and stuff like that. I think it was a bit slow for me to get used to, but I was hooked from the start because I could tell what was going on. I could tell what it was asking me. I mean, I, I'm not going to remember 
now six years later how long it took me to beat Asylum Demon. It wasn't that long, but it was enough time that I saw myself getting killed, but it was immediately like, I should have I should have rolled that or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, it never felt like a barrier that it was a different kind of control or a different kind of decision making the game was asking. And you're, you obviously said that you went through New Game Plus into challenge modes and, and things like that. What do you think was the like the funnest playthrough that you've done, or the one that would, that you had the like the most fun or the most success with? It's I don't think anything can really top the experience of the first one. I mean, maybe an easy answer. I think the first, not just the first playthrough of Souls One, but kind of everyone's first playthrough of ever of any Souls game is the one where you have that learning experience that I described. It's pretty hard to top that. But one that I do remember a lot is um, I tried a level one clear pretty soon after my initial clear because it seemed like a fun challenge. And that kept me busy for a little while and was pretty rewarding. That's a, that's a lot of fun. I've done two of those now. It's a level one and, and you know, do various different ways. And it's, it's, it's so much fun. And it, it gets you to the point where you realize, like, when you go back and play it normally, it's so much easier <laughs> just being able to roll and, like, tank hits and things like that. Like, it makes you into a really good Dark Souls player. Yeah, one of the really funny things about Dark Souls, which, you know, I'm sure we'll get into the topic of difficulty more in some way, is... What does it mean that it's hard? How hard is it? I always felt like I didn't I didn't solve the problem of Dark Souls being hard by getting really good at action games. I, I'm not really good at the skills of twitch reactions and making immediate decisions and things like that. I felt like I overcame everything I tried to do in Dark Souls by making Dark Souls easy for me. Um, by learning enough about the systems to have a plan, by learning about each boss so that nothing felt like it was going to be a surprise or would throw me off. And an interesting little shift was when recently Sekiro came out, which I also loved. I feel like they really made it so that it was hard to do what I described as making the game easier for you. You really just had to live up to the action challenge that they were presenting. Yeah, Dark Souls, uh, Dark Souls One especially had some really unique stuff where that allowed you to essentially break the game in some cases. Like there were some there were some builds and some spells or some you know high level weapons or what have you that you could kind of just roll through the entire game with. Um, and I personally, in my games, I actually really enjoy that. Like once I've played a game, going through at an extremely high level and uh, or getting that game breaking build and Binding of Isaac or or what have you is a lot of fun. And it it evens out that difficulty a little bit, and Sekiro is definitely the same way. Like it's it's one of those things where you they just took away a lot of the player options that they had included earlier, like summoning or you know NPC summons or or just you know build variety. Period. Like you have tools, but you don't really you can and you can use them, but they're not going to dramatically change a playthrough. I don't think. Yeah, I'm one of those people who didn't use the Shinobi tools much because I'm one of those people who just has a psychological problem with using consumable things in RPGs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I ended that game with almost maxed spirit emblems because I just never used tools on my first playthrough because I was like, oh, what if I run out and have 900 in my storage, whatever. So. <laughs> exactly the same. I think on the final boss, I made myself use an Ongo Sugar, but that was basically it. Um <laughs> Yeah, Sekiro taking away the the RPG choose your character build, you know, has a clear downside because I think it has less replay value. I'm not probably going to go back and have those reasons to do it again like I did with Dark Souls nearly as often. But it, it definitely came with an upside too that it, it belies what I said before slightly. I think experienced Souls players did go and have the learning experience again in Sekiro. 
<laughs> that you definitely have to to learn that game um, and unlearn a bunch of souls habits. Like it was it was the Lady Butterfly fight for me when I realized that I was like moving in and hitting a couple of times and then backing off and which my souls hands were telling me like I have to recover my stamina. And then in the middle of the flight, I realized I don't have stamina. I can literally just hold run and just do it and hit as many times as I want to. What am I doing? Like breaking those, those habits I think was, was really important. Lady butterfly is when I literally realized that you can just keep attacking into a boss as long as you watch for the moment where you have to deflect. I didn't even understand that rhythm until then. Yeah, exactly. I think that's one. I think that boss in particular is really good about teaching you to break those habits. Like that's that's a very early boss that you're going to get into. That's going to kind of show you the way that you're going to fight a lot of the fights in that game. Not all of them. Like they they mix it up, especially with some of the beast fights. But if you're fighting a person one on one, generally speaking, like you need to be attacking as much as possible. And those are the best parts of Sekiro. I think the weirdest parts of Sekiro were the, where they designed Dark Souls fights. Yeah, um, absolutely. Demon of Hatred is the obvious one, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's the one. That's the one I was going to bring up too. Like that. That's that's a Bloodborne fight. Like that's a pure Bloodborne fight with hit and run tactics. And God help you <laughs> if you can sit there and, loop- and try to deflect it, anything. Yeah, looping around to Dark Souls again. You know, it, it starts with Asylum Demon, which was kind of the same thing, but the opposite. Whatever kind of game you were used to playing, Asylum Demon was actually a pretty weird experience to start with, but it does a great job of telling you what this game is going to be yeah absolutely like especially especially when you meet it the first time and you you have really no real weapons and you have to run away and that's the game show and you're like hey we're going to be doing some some interesting stuff here you need to be paying attention to these things to to see what you need to do like you actually have to the game is going to tell you stuff but not put it in a pop-up with a like a button press that you have to dismiss to make it go away which i thought was at the time i didn't really appreciate like i was I did the thing where I got 60 hours into Dark Souls and then like restarted a, a new build because I just felt stuck. And I was like, this game's not teaching me anything. And of course, you know, years of experience later, I'm, I, I can go back and go, oh, this is what the game was teaching me this entire time. I was just too dumb to notice it. So, Yeah, I generally agree with that on the game as a whole. I think I've never been sure about the first Asylum Demon encounter. It's always been weird to me that the first thing the game does is put you into an unfair fight and then make you realize you have to run away only because that's not something that's not anything in the rest of the game works there are no bosses you could run away from no no once you get into a boss fight without you know turning the game off you're pretty much stuck there for the boss fight until you die um yeah I've, i've always just assumed it was it was you know hey there's pay attention to the environment pay attention to things that are not just the boss but it is it is strange that they don't really let you do that other i guess well, no, you can't really run away from the witch of I mean, you can homeward bone, but yeah. it's 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 more just, I think that experience is a little bit confusing to a lot of people as far as why it's the first thing that this game made you do. Because after that, it picks up really well. It's the, you know, basic tutorialization against easy hollows, basically no meaningful combat until you deal with Asylum Demon. And then Asylum Demon makes sure that you understand what to do well enough. You've at least rolled a few things and found a few attack windows, and then it, it drops you into the game. And then, you know, that I think the Undead Berg is probably the pinnacle of FromSoft game design in a lot of ways, teaching you, you know, here's some normal enemies, here's some enemies with shields, here's enemies that are going to ambush you from afar. Like, it's there's just a huge variety of encounters that aren't particularly difficult. Like, nowadays... I think anybody who's played Dark Souls a few times will just steamroll the Undead Berg, but the first time through, like that, that's that's difficult because you're trying to learn how to deal with the different types of enemies. And it's so like playing through it, 
I went back to the remastered after Sekiro and had a hell of a time trying to like unlearn a bunch of Sekiro stuff. And then, uh, but like just playing through that just makes you realize like, wow, they were really very, they spent a lot of time on this, this one particular area and it really, really shows. The design of Bergen Parish is great. I think way back when I played it, I did this whole long blog post about them. My favorite part of Berg is the very start on the ramp up to the aqueduct where there are six hollows and this set piece for you to get past. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a technique that they use in many of the levels, which is put a bit of a gatekeeper encounter that's actually harder than most of the encounters or really all of the encounters in the rest of the level to say, you will get you have to work a bit to get past this. Once you learn to get past this, we know that you can deal with hollows and you're not going to get stuck at any combat in Undeadburg. You might have to explore, but your mind can be on exploration. We made sure that fighting hollows was a skill you had before you even went in. And, and you know, taking that to, you know, to harder and harder areas and having new enemies with multiple kinds of attacks, like it really prepares you to like change your internal response times and change your, what you, which, how you approach these enemies, right? Like, you know, you see, it made me, it, it changed from, I'm going to rush into these attacks to, I'm not actually going to try to attack at first. I'm just going to block or dodge until I can figure out your timings and then I'll start attacking um, just so I can, you know, be a little bit more prepared. Um, I do the same thing with summoning and, you know, the later games I would, I would get summoned to practice on boss fights and then go back into my world and then take that knowledge with me. Cause it was, you know, there's less punishment for that. And so. And that, that technique of giving you an opportunity to learn what the new mechanic is or what the new threat is, is pretty consistent design for them. And one of my favorite examples is Blight Town, where on that initial bridge where there are three ogres before the ghouls start attacking you, you start getting attacked by a sniper. And a lot of people hate the toxin snipers, um, but I actually feel like they weren't really mean about it. They put the first one in an area where you're almost certainly going to get shot at and toxined the first time before you know what's going on because it's an open bridge. But it's so close to the start that it's not really a big deal. They teach you that this is a thing that happens in Blighttown. They don't just spring it on you when you're in an obscure corner of the level later on and death would be a big problem. Yeah, it's really good. I'm. I'm I'm one of those people that just love Upper Blight Town. Like I love that whole area. I I spend a lot of time invading up there because I'm that particular brand of asshole and um just just having a lot of fun like messing with people up there because it's like just those weird, you know, rickety ladders and like, like kind of lived in feel that doesn't it doesn't feel like a game level. Like it doesn't feel like, you know, like a a 2-2 or something like that. It just it feels like a a spot where people were just struggling to hold on to their humanity and losing and yeah, invading in that area and terrifying people as a giant naked woman uh, was was a lot of fun. So. <laughs> I always generally liked Blight Town. I've, from what I've gathered, it it largely has a bad reputation because of frame rate problems in the initial PS3 release. Yes, yeah, the console releases were like like you know, especially at the top uh, at the bonfire. Um, you could you can spin the camera around like just hold right on the camera stick and you could feel it chug like down to like 10 15 frames per second and then of course you get to the bottom and it's full of poison and also slows down so i think people just generally hated it for that reason but you know going through the the remaster where it's smooth as silk on ps4 now is i got it just confirms that i've always loved that area and i've always been right about it (laughs) it's a great level i agree and what you were saying about the flavor of it the setting one of my favorite things, and you were saying just how organic it feels, is that it's what connects the 
civilized, built-up world of the city, this this ridiculously massive city where you can barely make out the curve of the wall, it's such a big circle that contains the Bergen Parish, and then this swampland underneath with whatever, you know, second-class citizens were living down there. And I always, for a while when I was first in Blighttown, in the Blighttown swamp, I would forget that it wasn't underground because it's dark, but not only can you look up and see the sky and see the huge flying buttresses that hold up the city, you can see Firelink. There's no real way to recognize that it's Firelink unless you're looking for it, but you can see a corner of Firelink kind of over by where Patches sits, I think it is. And similarly from Firelink, you can look down and the swamp is just a green mass where you can't make out anything but the stone pillars. Yeah, when when I first got addicted to Dark Souls, which was pretty shortly after release, um, that, that first year of people discovering those types of things like oh wow like i i died in the catacombs and i went to um you know i, I think it's the uh oh, God, my, my memory is failing me the uh the fire i think i know what you're talking about though yeah. yeah i've seen screenshots where you can see your your death blood stain from weird places like you can see two <laughs> of the giants from ash lake or something like that yeah yeah it gets it, it gets crazy like you can see some like you can like the world is just really that detailed and that interwoven which is uh, something that they haven't really replicated to the extent that they've done that in Dark Souls. Like Sekiro has some of that. Bloodborne has a taste of it. Uh, but, you know, the other games that have come since and the, even the ones before it were are very much more oriented around spokes than that interwoven game design. And I, I know people that feel both ways about that. Like they're they're fine with either or they prefer the spoke system or they, they, they like the interconnectedness. Where, where do you fall on that? Are you do you have a preference? I really like Dark Souls 1. I mean, that is to say that I couldn't enjoy 2 or 3. They did lots of things well. But they were missing something that I think was a great element of Dark Souls 1, which is, you know, we call it interconnectedness. It gives you those moments where you get back to a place you've been before, but it's a surprise. Those are amazing. It gives you cool things like I was describing before, where you actually understand the structure of this world and how everything fits together and what's the story they're telling just by what zones are laid out where. I think when you go to two and three and you have fast travel from the start, and especially two where they they didn't even try to make the world make sense as far as what biomes were next to what other biomes, you just lose something. Yeah, it definitely definitely seems that way. And like you get such great moments out of that interconnected world where you know, ascending out of Blight Town and realizing, oh, I'm in Firelink. Wow, how did I? How did I get back here? Or, you know, that winning the fight at the top of Sins and then going over the castle walls and seeing Anorlando for the first time. Like it's it, there's so many good moments of for that, and it's just man, it's it's almost magical the way the way it works. It really feels like lightning in a bottle to me in some ways. Yeah, part of why I mentioned looking up at Firelink from Blight Town is that's the furthest you've ever been from home at that point. And realizing that you can barely see it, or even if you haven't figured out that it's Firelink, realizing that when you look up at the castle that contained Berg, it's so high above you, and and there's been no mode of transportation in this in this game other than putting one foot ahead of the other, and you realize how far you've walked in the course of everything you've done, and that you're about to walk all the way back up one way or another, even <laughs> if you don't know what the path is going to be, and you have these moments of looking and seeing how far away things are. And, and that's a feeling that I've, I've never had any of the other games recreate in the same way. I don't know that I've had any other game replicate that for me. Like, I think that Dark Souls 1 is, is very unique in that. And I think that's probably the reason why we have 
um, it has the the long tail that it does, and it's generally considered the best game in the the modern From Souls series because it's just it's yeah. just that good. Like it makes it makes, I mean, gives you maybe, those feelings and those emotions. Maybe I got a little of that in Breath of the Wild, but I agree. There's there's never been anything quite like it this way. Man, Breath of the Wild is I I, I really I really need to go back to that game. I, I liked it, but I just kind of got exhausted with it in some way and then i just kind of fell off of it and never went back to it i totally understand you know we won't go on it too long but it's a very polarizing game a lot of people really really love it as you can tell by the media coverage but i've definitely encountered a lot of people for whom it just didn't click but maybe something interesting for you to to think about when you play it is i think there's a neat design pedigree from zelda one through dark souls through breath of the wild in terms of things that games picked up from each other yeah, I've I've always um I've I've always kind of compared Zelda One and Dark Souls as to each other. Um, what what design elements do you think that they they kind of brought forward into Breath of the Wild? Um, f- f- I think first of all, the type of world that it was introducing you to. It's dead isn't exactly the right world, but this kind of sad, bleak, fading world that you are the lone hero exploring is gives a similar feel to both. And then Breath of the Wild also does the you can you the only way you figure out where you're going is by looking across the landscape and seeing what's over the next rise. They're not exactly like in that Breath of the Wild is about open vistas and Dark Souls is about human built um, structures and interiors, but it's the same concept of whatever you see, you can start your journey over there. Yeah, I think that's and you know the the obviously that and like the the kind of basic 3D combat games and stuff like that. Like I, it really felt like I, and I mean a zillion game journalists have said this and ran headlines. Like I, I follow that X Meet Dark Souls Twitter account and that poor dude. <laughs> when Breath of the Wild came out, he he had a lot of a lot of headlines to post because <laughs> it was it was a pretty common thing. But just the like it did it did give me some of those vibes. And then um, I, I just think like there was something missing for me. I don't know like maybe it was just the like maybe it was the openness and that I, I felt like I wasn't exploring something that was like man-made or human-made or, or god-made or anything like that so anyway. the combat is more interesting in Dark Souls so, so that's going to be just a reason to stay with the game for longer and there's more of a sense of it has more richness I think maybe what you were just getting at too um, in the story told by what the structures are that you're exploring and what you learn about who lived there and all of these things that happen over the course of the game. So let's switch back to Dark Souls 1 again. Um, most people I know that get extremely addicted to Dark Souls at the first kind of embrace the the kind of online community aspect of it, whether it's in forums or chats or, or what have you. Um, did you get like real heavy into YouTube videos and lore videos or mechanic stuff or anything like that? Did you go? Did you go hard? A, a bit. Um, I'm always just interested in learning game mechanics, and because they're so obscure in Dark Souls, I pretty quickly took a taking to trying to look up what the stats did and how various weapons worked and stuff like that. Um, I did also get into lore videos a lot. I would say I was not very good at piecing together the environmental storytelling on my own and going and watching videos explaining the stories of character x was something i did a lot of after my first playthrough yeah finding out a lot of that story after the fact did the weird thing of um made me want to play the game more which for 
most of the time, if I watch a video explaining a game story, I'm like, okay, I've got it. Like, I don't, I don't really need to play that game. But with Dark Souls, I was like, no, I want to be able to see that. I want to get Solaire to the end. Like, I, I, I want to be able to experience this personally, which is something unique for me, at least, with the, with the Souls games. Yeah, I mean, like everyone else, I didn't save Solaire the first time. I didn't finish Ziegmeier's questline correctly the first time, even though I understood what kind of story they were telling with his character. So watching all those added something there. And then even not the interactable NPCs, you know, stuff like how Hovel the Rock has his secret stash of armor in on Orlando, and then his even more secret technology hidden in the, the painted world um, with the Dark Ember and stuff like that. Just, I felt like there was this endless parade of things that they had thought to tell in their story that are that subtle. Yeah, it's 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 crazy, and it's it always like they've. I, th- I think all of these games have had some t- tremendous NPC work. Um, I think they work the best in in Dark Souls One for me. Like the the characters are over the top or understated to the point where I you just fall in love with them your first time through. And there's you know Bloodborne gets close to this. Bloodborne has some really interesting NPCs, but it's not near as as detailed as Dark Souls One for me. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's right, and I don't know how much of it is, because the ones at Dark Souls 1 are, the stories are small. I mean, they're awesome, but they're still, it's not like the way that NPCs and quests are handled in other games. So I wonder how much of it is that they're really different, and how much of it is kind of the same thing I was saying before about the combat, which is the first time you see that trick played is the coolest one. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. <laughs> it doesn't help that it's a lot of the same voice actors too. So you're like, wait a minute, is this going to be the Solaire of this game? Oh no, you're an insane person in Bloodborne. You're, you, you are the exact opposite of Solaire. <laughs> so they, they like to trick you sometimes. I, I was definitely just happy when I got to Dark Souls 3 and I met the Ziegmeier character because I felt like Dark Souls 3, which he had already said was going to be the last one, um, it was just this semi-nostalgic romp through themes and ideas and styles that everyone has loved in the game so far. Yeah, that uh, I think that's a double-edged sword. Um, like there is a when when Seek shows up, or I guess you know the future version of Seek when shows up in Dark Souls Three. It's definitely one of those oh moments. But like before that, seeing Andre and Firelink, you were like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> what? What is this supposed to be? Um, so like the moments, you know, when you go into Yorm the Giant and Sigmire uh, shows up right next to you, uh, it's 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 a huge thing. That's not Sigmire. I don't remember the guy's name from Sigward. Yeah, Sigward. Thank you. <laughs> the, the guy from Soul Calibur shows up with his with his sword. Um, but you know that moment is is so huge and so cool. Like it's just it's just you know, you're both have these huge swords. You're taking down this this huge giant, which you let her find out like they were they were real tight. They were real good friends with each other. Like that's some of the the best Dark Souls three stuff. And then you have the stuff like I mentioned like with Andre, where it's like, oh, you're just here. Like you don't really serve much of a purpose besides like upgrading my stuff. Okay, cool. All right. Is that one of the is that one of the reasons you didn't play as much Dark Souls three as you did Dark Souls one? Basically, yeah, it was. It just wasn't as fresh. I mean, I didn't even notice this the first time through. I was too busy enjoying it, but it's easy to understand now why it's not a game where I would have a similar rush of enthusiasm to keep playing it over and over again the way I did with the first one. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I definitely had the same feeling of. Yep, I've. I am. I have. I'm glad this is the last one. Is what I came out of that, that game feeling. It's just you know I don't. 
I don't need any more fires or lighting or extinguishing thereof. Like I'm, I'm good with a lot of this world and a lot of these, ter- this terminology. Like I, I really wanted them to do something new, which of course, you know, they, they have, they've done, they did Bloodborne and Sekiro, which is dramatically different in tone and, and gameplay mechanics and everything. So, Yeah. I'm definitely happier to have those games than to have had more Dark Souls by a long shot. Although I say that, and I'll always make this joke right after, which is, you know, if Namco puts out like Dark Souls 4, 5, and 6, like it'll take me getting to 6 before I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll stop buying these on day one. <laughs> like if they, they, it's a, if they just even get halfway there, I'll probably buy the game and still play it because I'm just that addicted to the series. I got really into Sekiro as far as just number of hours I played it in that initial rush of the first few weeks. So it, it's probably easy to say that anything they put out in this style, I'd still be pretty open to. Yeah, just, you know, I know some people uh, with the the level of player skill that Sekiro required, um, it kind of turned them off and was like, well, I'm going to definitely be waiting and see what a game, what a From Software game looks like before I just pre-order it sight unseen. But to me, like, I, I fell in love with Sekiro. Like, I, I have played it, like, I'm on New Game 4 or something and have done two or three playthroughs. And it's just, like, I love it. Ever, as mo- more and more that I play it, I love it. It does lose something just because of the the play style so like i don't think like i don't i can't go back and create a caster build or i can't do pvp and things like that so i don't think i'll be playing it as much as bloodborne or dark souls or any of those games but just for like you know killing that boss <laughs> the last boss of Sekiro is like it, it feels like an accomplishment it feels like a huge thing that you just did you just mentioned pvp and that reminded me it didn't really finish uh answering your discussion before about mm-hmm. the online community and dark souls um I never got into Dark Souls PvP. I sometimes enjoy being summoned to help people, but it's it's just sort of a one-off thing I do every now and then. But as far as the online community, I did get into it a lot, which I kind of do with every game um, that I get really into. I would say if there's one little thing that's always bothered me about the Dark Souls community, it's they fixate a lot on difficulty in a way that can be a bit exclusive yeah the the get good community of if you don't you don't you didn't really do a soul level one build unless you did it without pyro or you know you didn't really beat the game unless you've never summoned somebody and all that kind of bullshit yeah yeah and i mean there's a there's a bit of a sort of friendly encouraging way you can do that and then there is a bit of an exclusionary way and i think there's a bit of a, a fixation on the idea that the difficulty is the most important thing that makes souls what it is and makes the experience what it is. And I always thought that wasn't quite right. It was, it's really all the stuff that we've talked about for these, this hour so far. <laughs> a, a good example of this is um, I interviewed Patrick Klepek a while back and um, he, he had a comment that he, um, he was using the term one shot, like I one shot this boss. And um, I can't remember which one it was, but um, he walked in the first time and literally didn't do anything. and just died. Like the boss rushed him and he died, but he got it on his second try. So he was like, I consider that a one shot. And I used that as a, like a clip to preview the episode on Twitter and like had several responses back from like people I did not know that I've never seen interact with me before. We like, that's not actually a one shot. He didn't actually do that. And I'm like, yeah, you were the people we were talking about. <laughs> you guys, this is exactly the kind of like gatekeeping video game stuff that people hate video games for. So congratulations, Twitter, I guess. Yeah. I mean, obviously it became a meme with Sekiro, which has maybe died down a little bit now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I, I really wish that the the part of the community became predominant. That whose whose viewpoint was 
I've enjoyed this game so much getting as far as I did. And all I want to do is see and help other people climb the same mountain. Yeah. And, th- and those communities are out there. Like there's, um, you know, the, not to toot my own horn, but like the don't give up skeleton community, the people that listen and the people that guest are all real, real nice people. And like, just want to see people succeed at these games and want people to play these games. They're just, they're advocates for them and they want more people to experience them. I mean, I know, a large amount of people that have bought multiple copies of Dark Souls for the express person, express purpose of just giving them away to people that hasn't bought it. Like, here, here, here's a copy. You can play it. <laughs> go, go for it. And and that's the kind of stuff that I love about this community. And there's definitely an aspect, you know, if you start digging around on forums of people that are just not that, that are kind of shitty about it. So, to- Yeah, I've introduced people to the game. Um, like I said, on my podcast right now, um, have someone playing through it for the first time. I think that that touches on another interesting little topic because I I like helping talking to people about their first experience or helping them with it. And there's a there's a tricky balance between how much do you want to tell someone or how much do you want to hint someone or help them if they're trying to get through the game the first time because I think there's a weird balance between you know not being spoiled, being pretty blind is of course a fun unique experience that you don't want to ruin, but on the flip side, the game was designed with the expectation of some player in action it has messages it has summoning it's does, there are many things in the game that are there to find with the help of a player message like the secret doors and i think sometimes people get a bit too fixated on the notion that the first run should be completely blind and isolated from anyone talking to you about the game yeah there's you're absolutely right there, there's a fine line like i you know i don't think if you tell somebody that hey you know, if you get to sins and you start noticing that you're not doing much damage, like maybe look around for a different weapon, like or a different damage type, or if you know, telling people about how stability works is and shields is is a very important thing that they may not be able to pick up on just via the game itself. But I'm not going to tell anybody about that mimic in sins, right? Like I want them to experience right. that. Like those those gotcha moments are just too good. That and that's I, I've talked about this quite a bit, but um, I think that's one of the reasons Dark Souls got so popular is like you want to vicariously experience that first playthrough. Like everyone that I talked to was like, if there was just a pill I could take to erase any video game from my mind, it'd be Dark Souls, so I could play it fresh again. And and watching somebody play, whether it's on Twitch or whether it's just your friends or on YouTube or, or whatever, play it with that blind mentality and just going in and, and getting all of the gotchas or, or not getting all the gotchas or whatever it is, is is so much fun. Like it gives you just like a fraction of the thrill that you had when you went through it for the first time. That's definitely true. And one of the tricky things is if someone were playing the game, I wouldn't know exactly what to tell them about what to look up, what not to look up, stuff like that. There's no really good way to do it because when you start looking stuff up, you're going to get spoiled on things. I, I kind of I trust my own ability to curate someone's experience, like to use your example, mm-hmm. to let them get caught by the mimic and sense, or to see if they notice that that one chest is a bit cockeyed and no other chest in the game so far has been. That's kind of the fun part. But while also telling them, like, if you're on the roof of sense and you haven't found a bonfire, the game isn't just being mean to you. You should poke around a little more exactly yeah <laughs> like how do you how do you have someone with that little bit of guidance so they don't have the really bad experience while still having all the surprises and it's 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 those dark soul sherpas that gets that right that i think are the real advocates for this game the ones that can figure out that balance that cause someone to not bash their head against it and not just breeze through but have have a very good experience that first time out and that's that's kind of the fun and the magic of it um Tell me a little bit about Dark Souls 2. You mentioned you, you played that quite a bit as well. Uh, obviously, like there's some 
significant mechanical differences and some significant world building differences there. And uh, Dark Souls Two has always been like the the stepchild of the franchise because it's it's so different from one and three and anything else really. Like, where where, where did you come down on that game? I liked it just fine. I wouldn't say I liked it as much as one. I, I think even though it's such a community debate about whether two was better or worse than the others, in the grand scheme of things, these three games are so similar that I, I find it hard to be worth worrying about too much. But like, if someone was asking me which one I recommended most, I, I generally say one over two. But I, it came out because it was only the second and I still had a lot of thirst to see more of this kind of game. I got pretty into it. I played it and then I did the... Um, I think I did New Game Plus to finish the achievements, and then I did the No Death Challenge, which gives you a ring. And oh wow, I never That's went back into the DLC. <laughs> yeah, I, like I was hinting at the start, I really like doing stuff like that. Um, I'll say that Dark Souls Two is easier than One, or rather, your ability to make it easy is higher than One. There are fewer bosses that you can't give yourself a good ability to survive with the right build and stuff like that. So that was more of a challenge in planning than anything else. How did your uh, reticence to use consumables uh, interact with your experience with Dark Souls 2? Because Dark Souls 2 has so many good like one-off consumables that can increase attack or that can you know bless your weapon or, or, or whatever. Um, I was still pretty bad about doing it. <laughs> uh, I did some. It's hard to remember the details now. I mean, mm. at the beginning of the game, there are, there are healing gems, and you use it until you get more than a small handful of Estus flasks. I never got in the habit of using weapon buffs i don't really remember why um i think that was a habit carried over from one because i did not like that gold pine resin was so hard to come by that's the prime example of a game consumable i never really wind up using yeah that and divine blessings right like why would i ever use this i might need it in some in some hazy point in the future i I don't even really like the design of divine blessings because okay so they're a full heal which has a quick cast time, which makes it better than an Estus flask. But what, like, what do you do? Do you keep it on your hotbar and switch to it when you think you're in a moment of extreme trouble on a boss? I don't even think you would do that quickly enough if you were about to die in the first place. I, so I, I it's, can, I can yeah. tell you what people did at the time, which is um, save edit themselves to have 99 of them and spam them in PVP. That's, that's what people did with them. So. <laughs> Did you PvP a lot? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's um, like after completing the game a few times, like figuring out the invasion system, and then just literally spending uh, hundreds of hours at this point doing, you know, either summoning or getting summoned to to do weird boss kills or just invading people over and over again. Um, for a while, I was, I, I was, it was so bad. I was, I kept getting a bunch of hate mail, and this was on the Xbox version, which is a noticeably worse online community than the other consoles, but. Uh, like I started a hate mail blog for Dark Souls One, where I was just posting this stuff on Tumblr because it was so like I'd never really played online games before. Like I'd never cared about Call of Duty or anything like that. Like I would, if I was playing with friends, it was a, you know we were all sitting on the couch together and just had never been exposed to people calling me these crazy slurs and was just just blown away by it. Like it was just it was just wild. But yeah. The the limitation of those those weird overpowered items has always confused me. Like just as a as a game player, like it's 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 something that it seems to be there for you to treasure and never ever actually use. And I'm, I'm kind of the same way. Like at, at a certain at what point, especially because you can't pause in Dark Souls. Like at what point am I going to be poisoned and 
low on health and not just using my Estus. Like, at one point, am I going to be digging in my inventory for these weird, like, four divine blessings that I might have picked up throughout the game? So, I've, and other video games do that too. And I just, I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know why game designers like include stuff like that. Like, I don't know what they're trying to get across, and which is probably why a, I'm not a game designer. <laughs> you make a good point about the pausing because in Sekiro, it was easier to say oh i'm i'm poisoned in the middle of an intense boss fight like genichiro but i'm just going to go and pull out that consumable um dark yeah i feel like the soul series never really found a way to get consumables right which is weird because the estus flask is a brilliant design that that kind of pulls this whole game together yes Mm -hmm. um but then they went back on it in bloodborne that always really baffled me and then they brought it back in sekiro (laughs) Yeah, the but in a same in a similar way they they didn't really like because with the the healing they did, but we were talking about spirit emblems before and like yeah. why we just don't get twenty spirit emblems and like and they just refill every time that you die. Like I, I will never understand. Like that seems to be the like that. Then I don't have to worry about like buying them or spending money on them or anything. And, and it also limits the ability. Like I'm not I can't just spam the axe or what have you because I only have twenty. Like it's still that seems to me like a good balance. So I've yeah I'm, I've always been very confused by that. Basically, same. I think I would have enjoyed uh, prosthetics a lot more if they'd been like that. I think the the only thing that comes to mind for me is they needed more rewards. They needed more axes of rewards to give out. Spirit emblems are littered around the world as a way to guidepost you to pick them up or to give you a little feel good for going in a certain direction. And they're your only sink for gold until you first meet a merchant, which may be a ways in. But I feel like they could have tried to find something better. Even even going back to just all the Souls games. In most games, like if you're playing an RPG and you've collected your mega elixirs or whatever non-replenishable consumables, you might choose to use it on a boss with the knowledge that either you're going to win and you move on, or you're going to die and go back to your save point and attempt the boss again. But in Dark Souls, if you lose the consumable and you fail, it's still lost. That's just sort of emotionally crushing in a way that makes it very hard to use. Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, the... Um, going back to the Lady Butterfly fight, like they kind of signpost you, and, and I think they, I think a character literally tells you, like, "Hey, snap seeds!" Like this is a and he hands you one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't like you can't buy them until way late in the game, and like you may have found some more if you explored around quite a bit before that fight, but you know they're so precious, and you're in the middle of a hectic boss fight, and in a much more hectic boss fight than really any of the games before, and all of a sudden having to like dive into your inventory to use that consumable that isn't actually that effective. Like I've always been way better at just ignoring the snap seeds than I have been trying to, trying to utilize them. So yeah, that was the only saving grace there. that I just, you just learned the fight without doing it. (laughs) Um, In, in the clone salt and sanctuary, which was a game that I liked a lot. Mm -hmm. They did a little bit more with a reward. You could start picking up from, I think your covenants is, consumables that refill at every bonfire like you can get an attack buff like that for example yeah those were really cool i wish that souls had done more of that especially because like that changes the way that you play to an extent like you know salt and sanctuary i'm I'm remembering the stuff that you would if you drank too much of it too quick you would get drunk and you would not be you know not be effective and and things like that like that was interesting layers on top of the basic gameplay and yeah I, i wish souls would do stuff like that as well and they it feels like sometimes they're getting there like 
you know, they've they've stopped you from carrying around ninety nine items uh, in a in a run. Like they'll limit how many that you have on your own hand inventory versus your item box or whatever. So you know, you can only carry you know three sugars in Sekiro or whatever. And that is a nice bit of design. And, yeah. and Bloodborne at least did that with the blood vials. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So most of the time you weren't stressing about blood vials, but the time when you'd been wiping at a boss for a while and you check your box and you only had five left or something. Um, would really put a huge damper on what you're trying to do in the game. Oh, it was miserable. <laughs> it was absolutely miserable. Like I did the fighting Abritus for the first time. Like that was my huge wall in in Bloodborne, and literally was safe scumming. Like I, I had a couple hundred blood vials. This was before they increased the limit that you could have in your storage box. Um, but I would, you know, go through and die ten or fifteen times and be like, okay, I'll download my save. Like I literally haven't made any progress, and this is easier than you know running through Yarnum for the fifteenth time to to get blood echoes or to get vial drops or what have you like it's it's such a it's such a punishing amount design to make you grind for that stuff it's hard to blame you for that and yeah i'm not going to say that this one idea of giving replenishable consumable solves the whole problem i mean i think there are things that would have been too powerful to give you once every life maybe even a gold pine resin would have been too powerful for that Mm -hmm. it probably would have it would have made bosses too easy so that probably would have been the answer for some things like a mild attack buff or a mild defense buff. But yeah, I don't have an answer off the top of my head. Maybe some mix of things that replenish with you die or things that replenish with time or just a way to not have wasted something when you try to learn a boss are all ideas that maybe over the course of five games they could have tried to iterate on more. And that's and that's always the the puzzling aspect about From Software to me. And like and this go this goes right back to the Estus. Like Dark Souls one I think had the perfect healing system and it was, you know, having five Estus to get from one bar, one bonfire to the next was huge. Like that was, it, it was, it was a, it was a big deal and it dictated how far you could go into this world. And if you increased it to 10, like that gave you some breathing room. Um, but then making you go back and then like, Oh, these are now consumables that you have to buy. Like it was such a weird thing to do in 2014 or whenever Bloodborne came out, I was like, wow, really? This is, this is weird. <laughs> Even the kind of soft limit of Dark Souls 2 and Sekiro, where there's the Estus and then there's also a, a consumable item you could use and you run out, is, is I don't like as much. I think the the really firm wall of, of Souls 1, which is when you use your last Estus, there's really going to be nothing else you can do. I mean, short of popping humanity, which is confusing and probably not a common thing that first-time players do. And God, um, God help them if they do, because then they will probably get invaded <laughs> and will probably die immediately. So. <laughs> um, it's almost nicer to, maybe nicer is wrong, but I think it's a clearer design to say, this is the amount that you have. If you've used up all of them and you're still on at the next bonfire, you know you're probably sunk. It doesn't put you on a weird decision of, should I use this limited resource to try to push up and potentially feel really bad if it doesn't work. So I know you work in uh, video game creation in, in some way, um, just looking at your Twitter bio feed. Um, is there, has there been any case, and if you want to describe briefly what you, what you do, that would also be awesome, but has there been a thing where you've taken inspiration from these games into your own work? Um, so I'm a systems designer on World of Warcraft. My main uh, focus is on the classes. That's an online RPG, an MMORPG. Um, I would say my my inspiration from Dark Souls is more general 
design concepts than any really specific designs because it's such a different type of game. Mm-hmm. It's it's concepts like the importance of emotional design. I think it was the first thing I talked about when we started. Yeah. It's what what are you trying to create in the player? What experience are you hoping they will have? How will they feel about it? Like I mentioned, you know, Dark Souls does a really unique and kind of elaborate one. It's first there's this frustration and then there's this, you know, fear or how will I beat this boss? How will I overcome this challenge? How will I get past these archers? You have a moment of actual doubt and then you discover that you can surpass it. And that's a pretty elaborate dance that probably even more than as a parent took a lot of time to get right. What about um, just personally uh so you know these games have have had obviously a huge impact on my life um like most of the people that i I talk to and know online i know through this dumb video game that came out eight years ago now um and it's kind of a ridiculous thing to say that a video game can change your mind change your life in that kind of way but it's it's true like the big video games out there can definitely change lives has this changed the way that you, you you look at things or you look at video games or um have you ever have you gotten that soulsitis disease where you you start up another video game and you're like why don't i just play dark souls instead of this game that i just spent 60 dollars on uh, it's definitely happened with games that try to clone souls too much. Like it happened to me with Neo. It gave me a sense of this is so much like Dark Souls that it's not giving me anything that really seems interesting. It's just kind of their take on the same thing. But on, on your original question, um, in the sense of it's one of the games that I cite most for good design principles and things like that. Uh, and it's and it started that way because it was one of the games I was the biggest fan of before I worked in in the industry. Um, and you know, another thing is just working in design. Game designers are all people who have spent their life playing and studying games. There's so many games out there that not always the same games because you can't play. Not only can you not play all the games, you can't even play all of the important games. But many of the same ones people have opinions on. And Dark Souls is one of those games that's been so influential that probably everyone has something that they think about it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely the game that's probably cast the, the longest shadow on, on my personal life um, and just the way that I look at games and the things that I even appreciate from games now. And I would say, going back to like, a couple of things you've brought up recently, thinking more about what is the influence that Dark Souls either has on the way I think about making games now, or, or I think should have, that a lesson that people should take away. It's the importance of the player's decisions on their own fate. Dark Souls, I, you know, the first thing that everyone knows about it is that it's really hard, which I wish weren't the case. I wish the first thing that everyone knew about this game was it is there for you to decide each challenge is there for you to work out how to handle that it's completely fair and transparent and you can either succeed or fail the game won't put its thumb on the scale in that way it makes you feel like i mean i'm rambling a bit i'm trying to say you want the player to come away with anything could have happened based on the decision i made there's things i could have done where i would have just failed the game would have let that happen. And that's completely true in Dark Souls. And there are things that it could have done where I succeeded. And the game is just going to wait for me to find the ladder. Well, I think that is as good of a spot to, to end this podcast as any. Uh, Jay, thank you extremely much for uh, coming on and, and sharing your, your insight with us. I very much appreciate it. 
Oh, thank you. I mean, this is always so much fun to talk about. And thank you for having this podcast in general, where you try to collect all those different perspectives that you can on the game we love so much. Can you tell people where to find you on the internet? Talk about your podcast, definitely, but tell them where where you can be found on the internet um, should they decide to seek you out. Hi. uh, On Twitter, I'm at HamletEJ, and my current hobby project podcast, separate from my work, is called Old Game Plus. It's with um, me and two other people, and we talk about old games for some loose definition of old. Dark Souls is actually the newest game we've covered, I think. Um, usually it's like SNES era type stuff. And we basically play through a game over the course of many episodes, sort of going through in detail what happens along the way and what the experiences of the first time player are. And that's um, at OG Plus Cast on Twitter. Excellent. Well, thank you again for guesting. I very much appreciate it. Thank you. As always, I've been your host, Jeremy Greer. You can find me on Twitter at JG Greer. You can find the podcast at don'tgiveupskeleton.com. That website has links to uh, merch if you want to put a skelly on your belly. It also has links to all of the previous episodes if you want to go and find one of your favorites to re-listen to. Thank you, everybody that's been listening and leaving comments and reviews and all of that stuff. It's very, very much appreciated. Uh, we will probably be back. <laughs> I'm getting close to, as some of you know, uh, putting this podcast on hiatus, but uh, I'm not quite sure if there'll be another one just yet. But we'll probably be back sometime with another great guest. And until then, remember, don't give up skeleton. Just by. I looked up and I was like, oh, I need to end this. <laughs> this doesn't have all day to talk to me. <laughs> I always get kind of lost in a, in a-